grab your Bible really quick. Um, turn to first, 2 Corinthians 10 um, and, uh, and in 1 Peter 5. Keep your finger both places. Listen, you know, my mind and my heart's been heavy this week. And so I didn't go back to our regular Proverbs study. There's so much going on. Um, so I just spent a few minutes talking about these things. Um, really the topic, spiritual warfare, which seems like I'm in constantly in spiritual warfare. I think God is even training me in it this year. I don't know why. Um, as I've been telling you, as he puts people in my heart in a particular way, and then he draws me in and just praying for them. And it's been really, honestly, uh, enjoyable. Um, it's like a sense of urgency happens. A person's mind, or fa- uh, excuse me, a person's face will pop across my mind or, or whatever the case. And I just go into prayer and often don't know what I'm praying about. And yet it's, uh, it's still just a wonderful thing to do. And we, uh, on Wednesday night, uh, how many of you were here Wednesday night? And raise your hand, a small group of you. Um, we, we turned the live stream off and we just went into this amazing prayer time. And I said, hey, let's prepare ourselves for, for warfare. And the way we do that is we first, we pray, we pray prayers of repentance. I mean, humble ourselves before the Lord and repent. And then from there, we can then go into what, what we need to pray for. And this was after the teaching, actually. Um, and I, I think, you know, with us upfitting the building, moving over there, church is growing. Um, there's one thing he always wants to do is solidify our foundation. And so, in other words, who the people we have now and who are being discipled, if you will, we want to grow strong as a church community and a family um, so that we have a solid foundation so that as, as we continue to grow over there, because um, it'll feel a lot different. We, we're ready for that. And just a few verses I, I've been thinking about um, as it, it just seems different things happening here at the church. Peter, Peter gets into it, chapter 5, verse 6. If you dare say amen. amen. Just a few verses, then we'll jump over to 1 Corinthians 10. Peter says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren in the world. I love that. Father, thank you just for, thank you just for leading me in a different direction this morning, Lord God. I pray that you would speak to us individually and collectively from this place these two places in scripture this morning, Lord God, preparing us for the, the call that you have for our lives, Lord God, as, as members of the body of Christ uh, individually and as members of the body of Christ as a congregation, um, Lord, that you would allow us to impact uh, everything around us as well as this community, Lord God. And, and I pray that you would remove anything that would hinder us or distract us now from hearing what you would say, the cares of this life, the burdens of the world. Um, Lord, I pray you would push the enemy at bay, uh, that we would have a, uh, this time, uh, a free time, Lord God, without harassment, where we can sit at your feet, hear what you would say to us. And I pray that uh, all of us could surrender to that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so just a few verses. Um, one of the things that Peter kind of mentions here is that we have an adversary. And leading up to that, he says the thing that we need to always be mindful of in verse 6 is humility. We see humility throughout the scripture. And that's why on Wednesday night, I said, let's pray for, let's pray prayers of repentance first. Um, am I, is this translation coming across okay? Translation good? Okay. Um, let's pray prayers of repentance first. 
because it's only when we humble ourselves before the Lord and we repent before him that we can kind of check the pride that's in us, if you will, the things that the enemy uses to stir up troubles. And we can humble ourselves before the Lord, knowing that we all are cut from the same cloth. We all came into this world as sinners, amen, redeemed by grace because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So he says to us, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. And I love that because God is the one who exalts us. Um, and the, the, pride, the, the person who has pride, the Bible says God resists that person. So if you want to have God against you, walk in pride. If you want to be exalted by him, walk in humility, real humility, not fake humility, but a real humility where you really say, Lord, I surrender to you. I'm walking before you, um, understanding that you're no better than, than, than the person to your left or to the right, but that God loves us all equally. Um, these are things that we need to understand because when the, when the apostles were arguing about who was going to be greatest, Jesus says, hey, the greatest is going to be the one who humbles himself and serves everyone else. Remember that? So humility is a must if we're going to uh, be able to deal with the topic of spiritual warfare that we're looking at today. And then number two in verse seven is to then notice he says, cast your care upon him for he cares for you. Just a reminder. So not only am I going to walk in humility, but I'm going to put everything before a loving God who cares for me and wants to work in my life and wants to be involved in my life and wants to help me through the difficulties of life and all of the trials of life and wants to use my life to impact those around me. Because remember, spiritual gifts are for the benefit of the whole. Amen. And so this is good. Um, these two things are must. And the reason is verse eight, because we have this enemy. So therefore, he says, be sober, be vigilant. You can look those words up, but be level-headed and be spiritually, if you will, uh, walking circumspect, uh, being mindful of the things that are going on in your life. And let me caution you that what I mean by that is spiritually, not just the physical things that are happening in your life, but being attentive to things spiritually in your life and how things are coming at you, the influence that's coming at you, the people that are connecting or, or around you to be able to, to walk soberly and, and be vigilant because of these things. Because he says you have an adversary. You have, obviously he calls him the devil. He's an adversary. He's striving against you because you belong to the Lord. When you belonged to him, you were what the Bible calls sons of disobedience who walked according to the course of this world who were influenced by the prince of the, of the power of the air, which is Satan and his host of wickedness and principalities in high places. So he manipulated, he controlled, he influenced your thought process, your way of life, your worldview. And then when you heard the gospel of your salvation and you placed your faith in that, you were literally snatched out of that domain. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And now you have the Holy Spirit in you and upon your life. Because Romans says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. If you're born again, the, the Spirit of Christ is in you. And 1 Corinthians 1 even describes the fact that we have the mind of Christ. We receive wisdom that's not of this world because of the Holy Spirit and because of the word that he speaks to us. Amen? But we have this adversary. And he, here he says he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's become very evident to me. That what Satan would love to do is just kill me and destroy me. Jesus says he comes for nothing but to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's, that's a reality, but we're, 
and, and it's crazy that in all of that, I, we don't have to be worried about him. <laughs> it's amazing. God is saying, hey, hey, this is reality. I need you to know it. I need you to understand it so that you can walk according to his word and be victorious in all situations. So he's seeking whom he may devour. But verse nine says that we are to resist him steadfast in the faith. I did look up the word resist, but I didn't bring that with me. The general sense of the meaning, listen, the general sense of the meaning is that not that we are to try to not fall into temptation, not that we are trying to avoid anything. It gives the implication that we are to, if you will, oppose him directly. When I looked at it, it, it made a little bit more sense. Like, whoa, wait a minute. He's actually saying we are to go on the offense, offensive. And that, that's amazing. You know, because a lot of times when you're on the defense all the time, you're just surviving. <laughs> I'm trying to prevent the enemy from whatever he's trying to do um, and survive and hang on, you know. But he's saying, no, I need you to go on the offense and score. Resist him steadfast. In other words, dig your heels in and punch him in the teeth. That's what, that's what Peter just said, his words. And Peter's that kind of guy. Remember, he cut a dude's ear off? <laughs> so he knows what he's talking about. He said, no, swing a sword, take an ear off, you know, in the, in the spirit, not in the, in the natural, in the spirit. <laughs> I'm about to come to church and, and your spouse has a Band-Aid on the ear and I'm going to wonder what's going on. <laughs> no, we're being told to go on the offensive, resist him steadfast in the faith. And one way you can encourage yourself, he says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Isn't it nice to know somebody is, is, is going through what you're going through? Because you can kind of relate. You know, it's like that when I go through things sometimes and I come to church and I see somebody across the room who's going through the exact same thing. And then there's a connection. We get to encourage each other in a particular way. Well, the reality is, is that believers are facing trials at the hand of the enemy all around the world. And most to a greater extent than, than we are as Americans, as I shared with you earlier. But the Bible is telling us we are to re- know that we have an enemy. First, humble yourself before God. Remember what James says. He said, uh, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Resist the devil. He will flee. Remember? Same thing. James, Peter, Paul. I, I wonder if they met and talked about it. No. So we are to resist him offensively, knowing that we are laboring in the same warfare that our fellow soldiers around the world are laboring in. Well, how do I get on the offense then, Lord? Because that sounds really great. But when you look at the list of uh, weapons in Ephesians chapter 6, I won't have you turn there, but we'll go to 2 Corinthians 10. But that list of weapons, a lot of it is just armor that you wear, protective armor. Like how many of you say a helmet, the helmet of salvation is just a protective armor, right? We wear that so we don't get our brains knocked out or suffer concussion on the football field or the battlefield. A breastplate is to keep a sword or an arrow from going through your heart. It's protective gear, right? We understand that. That's special. Everybody gets the same issue of armor when you go out to battle or if you're going to go on the football field, everybody has a shoulder pad. Everybody gets knee pads issued to them, a helmet, this standard issue. But then there's offensive weapons that Paul talks about in that chapter. And that offensive weapon, ladies and gentlemen, takes place when we swing the sword of the spirit in prayer time. That's where war takes place. Man, everything happens on your knees. 
or, or I don't care if you're on your knees. You can be in your car in traffic. Everything takes place. You're on your way to work, and there's something that you're going to have to deal with. Everything begins to take place there. So over here in 2 Corinthians 10, I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but you're disciples. You're not, you're not new believers in this room. If you are a new believer, a new believer, you'll be stronger than a lot of believers in other places pretty soon. Why? Because we're going to open the word every time we gather. Amen? So Paul says now, and I'll camp here for a minute, and then we'll end this service. We need another couple of hours together. That's what we need. <laughs> so I could have finished the stuff we were talking about earlier, but I got to move swiftly. So he says to the Corinthians, contextually, they were complaining about old Pastor Paul. They didn't like old Pastor Paul. He was dealing with a lot of things. So that, that's the context, and that comes out in this discussion uh, as we look at it. But I'll try to keep it kind of application-wise just light in the direction of what we need to do individually. But he says, now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in present am lowly among you, in presence am lowly among you, excuse me, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the um, with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. In other words, there were some folks stirring up trouble and he was going to confront them. You know, that's, that, that's what he was going to do. Why? Well, because it's important that nothing disrupt the, the household of faith, the, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So he says, who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. So he's saying that there's some people in the congregation there that were treating Paul as if we, this is a fleshly situation only, you know, that's what he's getting at. And so that's where we're going to come from. No, Paul is saying, no, this is not just something of flesh and blood. Notice as he goes into verse three, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. If every believer could just come to that realization, I have to remind myself of this. You know, the reality is the longer you walk with the Lord, the longer you spend time in the church. How many, how many of you have ever been rubbed the wrong way by somebody in church? How many have ever had somebody in the church maybe accuse you of something that was just not true? Okay. Or, you know, and we go through these things and that's in the church. So we didn't even talk about the enemy yet. <laughs> and I've learned through the years, though, that wait a minute. I'm never wrestling with at war with flesh and blood that's never the case it's always a spiritual battle because the one institution on earth hear me carefully there's only one institution on earth which satan is afraid of where's what's that institution amen because of the godhead there's only one place on church where god is dwelling anybody know where that is the church because the spirit of God dwells in the midst of his believers in us individually and collectively when we come together. Do we understand that? Okay, so the, in fact, when Paul was writing to Timothy, he called the church. He said, I'm writing that you may know how to conduct yourself in the household of faith, which is the pillar and the ground of the faith. In other words, the church is what God is working through. Israel is the apple of his eye. He has plans for Israel that he made promises to. Absolutely. But then there's also the institution of the church and the two are separate and, and, and they don't hinder each other. So the church is God's masterpiece, Paul said, and he's displaying his wisdom about how he works in her in this current age. I know I'm throwing a lot of things at you. That's I've quoted 
from Ephesians 3 several times. You can make a note and look at that later. So this, this beautiful, the bride of Christ, the church. And so with that, he says, hey, we're, we, we walk in the flesh, meaning we live in the flesh. We have to operate in the flesh. The flesh is given to us for us to interact with one another in this world. But we do not do war in the flesh. There's an actual spiritual battle and our warfare is from a spiritual place. And that's what he wants to remind us of. And then he says here that we have powerful, effective weapons to wage that war. Notice in verse four, he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal things. But he says they're actually mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And so he says that we have spiritual weapons that we must use in order to pull down strongholds, first of all. A stronghold is a, consider it like a camp of the enemy. Uh, a stronghold would be anything where you would fortify something, you know. Um, if, you, if the enemy was attacking you, you would fortify, you would hold up in your stronghold. The stronghold is where your supplies are. It's where you go back to the medical tent and get, you know, the military guys get patched up, get some food and whatnot, get some new gear, and you go back out to battle. It's the stronghold. It's the camp, if you will. And so he's saying that there are strongholds of the enemy in this world. And sometimes, as we're going to see, they develop in our minds. And so he's saying because of that, we need to understand that war takes place in the spirit. And we need to know what the weapons of that warfare are. I kind of alluded to them earlier. So he says they're mighty in God for for pulling down strongholds, destroying them, bringing down those camps, those places where the enemy likes to camp out. Notice he says, casting down arguments. Arguments are mentalities and thought processes. Arguments, and notice every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, arguments are thought processes, theologies, philosophies that exalt itself against the knowledge of who Christ is. Paul said in, to the Colossians, don't let anybody cheat you through through earthly philosophies and doctrines of men. These things that set up camp and, and hinder you or try to hinder the work of the truth in your life. Thought processes that are demonic, that are not biblical, that are not godly. Things that begin to cause you to move away from the truth of God. And there are a lot of them in the world today. Um, one way um, we can see this practically is that the public school system at times can be a stronghold where the enemy has the ability to to to, if you will, put his propaganda as he indoctrinates kids into liberal theology, um, trying to force them to to see themselves as something different than what God may have created them to be, which is uh, a person who's made in his image. Um, Mrs. Hornet. Mrs. Hornet had the biggest picture in the front of math class. It wasn't even science. It was math of the monkeys as they grow up and become a man. You know, uh, demonic theology I could spend a lot of time there, developed in the, in the 1850s by Darwin, a demonic theology which led to um, six million Jews being killed by Hitler, which led to um, eugenics and sterilizations that were perpetuated against African-Americans by the UNC health system here in North Carolina, of which our governor had to do a public apology, and you can't find a record of the video anymore. It's crazy. Um, all of this stuff that leaves little strongholds that, that, that are created, if you will, in situations like that, um, and the weapon, we, we always get all bent out of shape about this, but the enemy was smart enough to get the weapon out of the school system first. So if you can, get, if you can remove the weapons of our warfare, then he was able to then get all of that stuff in. Y'all, now you kind of understand what's the weapon that he got out? Exactly, yeah. So, so that's an example of an argument 
um, LGBTQ agenda arguments, if you will, things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And so that we are able to use these weapons to bring notice every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So a lot of times we choose the wrong weapons. We we want to choose the weapon of politics. That's a carnal weapon. It is a weapon, but it's a carnal weapon. So it only goes so far. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Um, we, we, we need to understand that the church has the ability. Think about this for a moment. If we were at war and this town was being attacked, how would we regain the town? We would have to strategically, because we're not, we're not soldiers, we're not employed in that, if you will. I know many of you have been soldiers. Um, most of us would then, you remember Red Dawn? <laughs> in the 80s, boy, the 80s movies were good. I'm sorry. Um, I'm over time. A bunch of teenagers strategically took their town back. Y'all remember that movie, right? Okay. So if we were at war, how would we strategically gain our ground back for the purpose of Christ? Well, I want to get, get, y'all give me a few more verses, Okay. We would use the war, the weapons that we have, and then we would engage in war. Well, if the Bible is saying that your weapons aren't carnal and you can't win this war through carnal means, then what what do you do? You become a church. No, you become an individual who is given to prayer and not just sluggish, lazy prayer, but praying according to the word of God. Then you become a church that realizes that when we come together in that kind of prayer, that's when things happen. And I guarantee you, I tell you right now, I know for a fact that the things that God has done through our church have come through prayer and the things that he's going to do are going to need to come through prayer. And everything that he's done mightily through the church over the last 2000 years, if you research, has always been uh, something that was uh, fueled, if you will, by prayer. And so I believe that we have to learn to strategically pray. This is why you see me causing us to practice prayer. Uh, I'm giving you things to pray about, like on Wednesday night. And it's hard. It takes time to get there because when we're praying about something specifically, somebody goes off and prays about something else. You know, it's okay. The more we do it, like there's always somebody. We're supposed to be praying for repentance. And there's one person don't want to pray for repentance as if they ain't got nothing to repent about. I remember we were over here having a marriage ministry breakout. That's after the teaching. And we were broke out all over the place. And my particular group, it was this Ken in here. Ken was in the group. It was Lisa and I, Ken and Lisa. Um, John and Andrea uh, was in that group. Bobby, you and Tiffany was in that group. And it was a few others. And if you remember, in our group, all of the men, we were confessing our sin. <laughs> we were all talking about where we failed as a husband. And his one dude, he didn't, he, he's the only dude that didn't have nothing bad to say, and he started preaching at us. I'm like, man, we've been here all day preaching to each other. Why can't you just confess your sin? Y'all might remember who that is. I ain't going to tell nobody else. And, he, and he's, he's been going on. He was, you know, a little pride there. When we, but when we, when we come together and I say, look, let's pray for repentance, let's pray for repentance. Because we all need to repent of something. And we need to get on one accord. So we can wage war together. I want to humble myself before God. God, I have missed it in some areas, you know. 
Lord, but I surrender that to you right now because, Lord, I need to come to you and, and on these things and, and, and begin to pray and let God to get your heart in tune with him. So these are important things. So the weapons of a warfare is prayer, understanding the word, confessing the word, speaking the word in your life, praying the word so that we can bring down strongholds, thoughts, imaginations, things that are coming at us. Let me read you a few more verses. He says, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. Paul's saying, look, I'm of the Lord just like you are. And so he says, for even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. In other words, um, Paul is saying, listen, you're looking at me in my outward appearance. Paul was a little guy. They say he was bow legged, long, crooked nose, not very intimidating. So here is the big old apostle Paul and he's nothing to look at. And they're like, man, this, this little puny dude, he, he ain't nobody. And Paul's saying, look, if you're just looking at me from a, from a fleshly standpoint, you're, you're missing the point. Because when I hit my knees, I'm going to deal with you in prayer. <laughs> and God is going to get things in order when I get there. Paul was confident in that. Um, and so this is what he's saying. And then he talks about his authority. I don't have time to develop this. Paul is saying, listen, I'm not trying to, to boast in my authority, he's saying. But there is an authority that's been given to me by the Lord as it relates to the leadership of the church, Paul is saying. And I, I love that because I do believe that as we operate in the calling that we've been called to do, I'm going to cut it off here because I'm over time. In the sphere of influence Paul's going to get into as you go through this. Um, in fact, verse 13, he says, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limit of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. Y'all see that? Paul is saying, I'm called to this. And, and this is why I love this. Here's the thing. Husband, wife, you are called to your marriage and your home. So therefore, the authority God has given you there definitely allows you to wage warfare in prayer and to pull down strongholds. And likewise, leadership here at the church, there's an authority that's been given. And then I do believe that in Clayton, I believe there's a, there's a sphere of influence, I should say, at least that we collectively has, have as a body of believers and um, I, people hear about what God is doing here to some degree because they, they tell me when I'm out and about now. And I have this habit of not telling people that I'm a pastor um, before I have these conversations with them. You know, I like that. And then I tell them after the fact, you know, why didn't you tell me? Well, I just wanted to have a real conversation with you. Because if I say I'm a pastor up front, it changes the whole tone of things. You know, they can be real with me before then, then they got to straighten up after the fact. So... <laughs> But I, I hear about um, you all inviting people to church and talking about the Lord and being knowledgeable in the word and, and, and people hear about these things. There's a sphere of influence. And I think that we have a responsibility with the sphere of influence to wage warfare to, to how can I say, to redeem that area of influence for Christ. Does that make sense? We all have that that we should be doing. And in order to do that, we have to be strategic to take the weapons given to us, which is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and to utilize it in and with prayer to redeem things for God. Maybe as we close out, you have to redeem a child, parent, or grandparent who's gone astray. And that may be a long warfare for you. 
Maybe you need to redeem your marriage and, and that's going to be a long warfare. And what, what you have to do first is humble yourself and confess your own sin. And then to, and then to prayerfully in the word, humbly walking before the Lord, work that out over a period of time. Um, or maybe whatever the case may be, you, you think about it uh, in your own life. But I think Paul is saying that this is, this is the life of the disciple. We have an enemy. He wants to destroy. We need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. We need to have an awareness of where he is attacking and know how to pray against those things. So the next time I call for a corporate prayer and we don't have a special prayer meeting, we just pray in the congregation a lot of times like we did Wednesday night. We may do it again this Wednesday. I don't know. But when we do that, understand my heart. I'm trying to lead us on one accord. So I say, hey, let's repent of sin. Then repent. If you think you ain't got nothing to repent of, sit quietly. (laughs) But we need to be together in these things. And we can't be sluggish and all over the place. You know, Book of Acts, they prayed on one accord and saw the Lord move. So I want to encourage you in those things. That's it for today because we're 15 minutes over time. And the children's ministry director is looking at me. (laughs) Because the kids need to be picked up in a second. But look, bow your heads. I want to cover us in um, just prayer before we leave. Um, Father... Every individual here, Lord, you want to do an amazing work in their lives. I pray that, I pray, Lord, that they would surrender to you everything and hold nothing back. That they would see you move in a powerful way this week. I pray that you would go before us, that you would prepare a path, Lord, in our, whether it's in the, our cars, whether within our homes, on our jobs, whatever the case may be, in school. That you would use us, gift us. Strengthen us, Lord God, to walk with you, to glorify you in everything that we do until you bring us together again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.